0: How's everybody feeling this year? I feel like it's been about a year since I've seen everybody. Tough crowd. That was that annoying joke that preachers use every single year? Uh, but it's so good to be back with you guys. I was here Christmas Eve. Wasn't Christmas Eve service amazing? I'm telling you, this church, you guys know how to do a great Christmas Eve service. It's always been my favorite. I love the fact that you guys have real trees on your stage. It's things you take for granted when you move to California. It's real trees, especially trees that tall. That tree in California would cost about $20,000. That one's about fifteen, I know because my wife would try to buy them every year. And I'm like, Rochelle, we're not rolling like that. And so uh, it's so good to be back in my home church. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Mark. And I am Pastor Ken's favorite son-in-law. Praise God, tough crowd. Uh, you guys OK this morning? All right. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Uh, I want to just uh, say it's an honor. Uh, I love. I love this church. I'm a byproduct. Me and this church have a lot in common. Uh, I got. I, I, I gave my life to the Lord in this church uh, over 20 years ago. 39. I look 38. Can I get an amen? 39 years old. I came to faith when I was 18 in this church. So 20, almost 21 years ago. And what's interesting is I'm the same age as Capital Church. So, I felt like if Capital Church had a kid, I would be its kid. It started in 1983. So did I. Praise God. Well, we're going to have a good time today. Someone say amen. Tell your face that we're going to have a good time today. And uh, I'm excited. If you have your Bible this morning, I, I don't want to waste any time. I want to jump right in this morning. I want to jump into uh, what, really what I feel like is a, a central theme for this coming year. I do believe that we can get it wrong sometimes. Who would say that's true? Uh, we look at 2020. Everyone thought it was a year of perfect vision. That wasn't the case. It was more like the year of Armageddon. Can I get an amen? amen. Prophets needed to redact that word of 2020 vision. And uh, it was more of a train wreck than a clear clear line of sight. But we did, we did survive. And everyone said amen to that. And you're here and I'm here. And for some reason, God thought it was a good idea to leave us on the earth. And uh, we got a job to do. And I'm excited that we're in the midst of doing it in California. It's been the great, greatest privilege of our lives to, to leave with the favor and the blessing and really just the support of this church. Uh, we would not be doing what we are doing without Ken and Connie Wild, without Chris and Kelly Wild. Everything I've learned is from these guys and uh, from their wives. Can I get an amen? But I'm excited to be back. Rochelle will be here, I think, next service. Um, she's still in vacation mode. And uh, I'm excited for what God is doing. We had a great week this week. We went up to McCall. How many love McCall, Idaho? Went up to McCall. I felt like McCall made me a man again. Because I moved to California. And I, I made fun, I'll be honest, when I got there, I made fun of people that were wearing parka jackets, Ugg boots when it was like 60 degrees. And I'm here for four years. I've been in California for four years. And I'm the guy with Ugg boots and a parka jacket when it's 60 degrees. So I came back. We flew in about a week ago. And when I got off the plane, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have lost my manhood. And uh, I was thoroughly freezing. And then we went to McCall, and I'm like, "Okay, I can handle Boise again after after leaving McCall." And so I'm excited to be back. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to turn uh, to the Book of Mark. Scholars are very uh, unified that this is the best named book of the Bible. And uh, so that was a joke. There's A couple more of those coming this morning. I want to congratulate our very own Rob Ash is having a baby. Yeah. Pastor Rob, we're so excited. I love Rob, I'm so proud of you, man. Well hey, if you got your Bibles this morning, Mark chapter one is where we're turning. If you're brand new to Capital Church, which it doesn't sound like anybody is this morning. So I'm gonna preach extra hard, is that all right? How many know the standards for the crew of Jesus was higher than the crowd of Jesus? And if you read the Bible, God's expectations for the people closest to him were always higher than those that were just kind of investigating him. And so this is first service and there's no one new today. So if I preach a little harder than usual, this is the home team. You guys ready to go? So if you got your Bible this morning, uh, Mark chapter one, if you get bored today, you're a boring human being. I'm not a boring preacher. Everyone said amen to that. And uh, I'm going to read a few verses out of Mark chapter one this morning. And really, I feel like this is a theme that I'm believing God for this year. Is I really feel like this is going to be a year of God inter- intervening in miraculous ways. I have faith that 2023 is going to be a year that God answers prayers we've been praying for for decades. I believe it's going to be a year of God doing things that we could never do. It's going to be a year that God fights for us. It's going to be a year that God's going to redeem things that have been lost, rediscovers things that we've, we've lost sight of, and maybe even family members that we thought would never come home. I think it's going to be a year of miracles. How would you be so confident? It's because usually God will give me a little bit of a preview before the end of a year to let me know what he's going to do in the following. And I got a good news that I want to report personally. My oldest brother, after a 15-year addiction with methamphetamine and cocaine, got a sovereignly with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, literally pulled my brother out. This cold turkey came back from Idaho and has been sober now for over 130 days. (laughs) One of the miracles that I've seen. (laughs) Lady in our church this time last year, got diagnosed, very, very powerful family. They own one of the largest media companies in Canada and came to our church, gave her heart to Jesus about a year and a half ago. And a few months after she did in January of, of this last year of 2022, she started not feeling well, went into the doctors, started losing her ability to walk. Her back was hurting severely. They found, uh, lesions of cancer all over her body. They gave her a year or less to live. We went to her house, we prayed the prayer of faith, we anointed her with oil, come on, do whatever you can do. People are like, that's crazy, it's crazy until it's your mom or your sister. It's crazy until it's your child. It's funny that people always mock people that have faith until they need it. And today, I wanna just, I'm gonna push in a little bit to this, because sometimes people make fun of churches that believe God for great things. Until you are in need of something great, then you value those churches. And so our our church, we're like, hey, God still heals, God still speaks, God still moves. God's not on vacation, come on. And so we went over to this lady's house, we prayed for her and literally she took one last trip to to, to Canada, brought all of her grandchildren in November. My wife prayed with her daughter before and they came back from Canada, they had this amazing time. They thought it was gonna be the last trip they ever took to Canada as a family. And this really amazing woman comes back, starts feeling better goes, I want to know how much time I have left, went in, ran a CAT scan of her whole body, and literally the doctor said, this is a, there's no cancer in your body. She did a a Christmas party that was going to be her last hurrah, and her husband, who just barely come into faith, gets up and says, this is a miracle. Our church got behind my wife. We were praying. They were praying for her. And literally, we thought this was going to be the last Christmas party we ever did together. But God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Say with me, a year of miracles. I'm not good at a lot of things. I'm, I'm not as smart as Pastor Chris. I'm not as good looking as Pastor Ken. But man, I have a little bit of this childlike faith that just believes that God can do something great. If you believe it, come on, tell yourself a good amen. Mark chapter one. If you're there, say I'm there. I'm gonna go to verse 40 and uh, just read a few verses this morning, five to be exact. Familiar story maybe for some of you that grew up in church. It says, now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him saying, if you are willing, you can, say it with me, you can. There is a lot of faith that lives in those two words. You can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and he touched him. It's actually a weak translation. It actually means that he embraced him strongly with a hug. He stretched out his hand, touched him. He said to him, I am willing. I am. Sometimes we read it wrong. He just doesn't, he's not just saying that he's, he's ready to help. He says, I am the great I am. And one of the titles of I am, the great I am, is he is the I am that is willing. I am willing, he says, be healed, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. He was cleansed. And he strictly warned him not to tell anyone at once, send him away at once. He said, see that you don't say anything to anybody, but show yourself to the priest. Offer for yourself a cleansing, those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, verse 45, I love this guy. He went out and he told everybody, freely spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside of deserted places and they came to him from every direction they came to Jesus from every direction I think that miracles are the greatest advertisements to to a lost world to a broken world that there is a deity worth worshipping they came to him from every direction Can I pray this morning? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this title down, Willing and Able. Willing and Able. I believe in 2023, God is willing and God is able. If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. You give me Presbyterian eyebrow raise, I'll take a Latter-day Saint deep breath. Come on, somebody, give me something. You guys ready to go? Father, I just thank you that you would meet us here today. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing in Idaho. We thank you for what you're doing in California. We know that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that you are the God that elevates a standard. We know that, Lord, sometimes darkness taunts. Sometimes darkness acts like it has a greater hand than it actually does. But we know the future. We know that our God wins. Today, I pray that you'd inject faith into our soul, into our spirit. God, we rebuke the spirit of doubt. We, we rebuke the spirit of unbelief. And in Jesus Christ's name, I just thank you that, God, you said when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth? So, Lord, today, give us faith. Give us great faith. We believe that you are the God that is willing And you are the God that is able. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joel King, for playing the keys. Come on, give Joel King a hand clap for playing the keyboards for us. I'm just kidding. That's not Joel. That's Joel's brother right there. It's good. Thanks for doing a great job. He looks like Joel King a little bit, right? Great job today, man. Good looking guy. Uh, You guys doing good? All right. Well, I'm, I'm a little different. They say that teachers tell it, preachers yell it more of a preacher than a teacher. Uh, I like to tell stories in the beginning. If you're brand new this morning, I'm gonna tell a story. And after I tell a story, I'll lead into some points. We'll look at this passage, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today through this passage? You know, when I was in Idaho, I had the privilege of not just being the youth pastor here, But uh, your leaders in this church, they they discipled me. Pastor Chris taught me how to read my Bible. Uh, Taught me how to pray. Pastor Connie taught me how to hear the voice of God. Pastor Ken taught me how to pastor people. And again, I was here. I I, I vacuumed all the chairs in this room. I was a janitor for five years. My seven-year-old Chloe found out that I was a janitor this week. She's like, Daddy, you were a janitor? And uh, I was like, yeah, for five years. And she was blown away. She goes, did you like it? I said, I loved it. Those were the easiest days of my life. And uh, I was thinking about this, though. I was here uh, in Idaho, and I I had the privilege of uh, being, you know, kind of sent out from this church. And for about 10 years, God did something so cool with our youth and young adult ministry here in Idaho, that opportunity started to arise all over the world. So I started flying, flying a lot. Got to go to Australia sixteen times, and Singapore, and Malaysia, and Africa, and South America, been all over the world. Spent a lot of time on the airplanes. How many know you live in Idaho? One of the one of the exchanges is is there's not a whole lot of direct flights. So unfortunately, I have a lot of pent up rage when it comes to TSA. Come on. Joking, just being a little bit hyperbolic here this morning, and stay with me. Uh, But I remember going through TSA, going through the airlines, and it was interesting during 2020. You guys remember getting those emails that we're all in this together? I thought to myself, "No, we're not." Anybody else get a little bit uh, upset when they they charge an extra hundred dollars for a pound and a half? Anybody else? No, no one else. Just me. I remember a lot of times going through the airport, and uh, just there's just funny things I think sometimes we don't really notice, is you go through the flying, which we all know, flying holidays. I mean, the airport during December is like the gym in January. Can we get an amen? So flying a lot, uh, growing up, and going to the counter in that awkward moment when they're like, yeah, your bag is a pound and a half overweight. And they're like, you either got to take it out, or you got to give us your left kidney. Uh, it's one or the other. And I don't know, I got to this point in my life that I'm like, I would rather go into debt uh, than to actually do the shameful unzip. I do not want to unzip in front of the entire airport, show them how poorly my packing skills are. And who knows, I don't pack, I don't know about you, I don't pack dumbbells in my suitcase. So I don't even know what a pound and a half looks like. Is that one shoe, two shoes, 10 pairs of underwear? I don't know. But what drives me crazy is, I don't know if you thought about this before, but it drives me mad because they say you gotta take it out of your check bag and you gotta put it on your carry on bag. And I wanna look at them and go, they're going on the same plane. And if we're so obsessed about weight, why aren't we weighing passengers? Come on. (laughs) This is really a weight issue. This isn't a weight issue. This is a greed issue. I got some, come on, you hear me? I got some pent up rage. Get on the plane, we all these crazy rules. Crazy rules, I'm exhausted. For some reason they think it's a good idea to fly at like two in the morning. So you get on the plane and you're thoroughly just wiped out. I am sleeping before takeoff. Anybody else have the gift of sleep? I'm out. But you ever been woken up? Because the stewardess goes, look, you're risking your life because your chair is this reclined. It should be here, but you're here. Safe, deadly safe, threatening the passengers' lives on the plane. Really? That's the difference between life and death an inch and a half of reclining? And then this one gets me. Really, I'm sorry, I was gonna just, I'm going to just go on Is we get to this point that they say, you know you're sitting in an exit row, an exit row. So because we know that if something happens terrible, we're signing you up to risk your life for strangers. We're going to reward you with an extra three inches of leg room with a seat that does not recline at all. And they always do this. They tap you on the shoulder. You ever seen them do this? They get up there. My sister was a stewardess, so I love, I'm, I, I love everybody. But just, just stay with am It doesn't preach as well I'm, when I'm peaceful during this part of the message. You guys with me? And so I get there, and I'm watching the stewardess. I'm in the exit row. And they always do this. They always go, uh, in the case of an emergency, are you willing and able... To assist the crew, and it's always just so funny to me how nonchalant people sign up for potentially being a first responder. Right? Are you willing and are you able? And I'll be honest, I think some people aren't willing, but they say they are. I think some people are willing, but I think some people are like, no, that guy's not able. This thing goes down, he's not helping anybody. I think to myself, there's interesting ideas that there's some people that are willing, but maybe aren't able. And there's some people that are able, but I'm like, that guy looks selfish. I don't know if he's helping anybody. He might just help himself. I was, I'm I'm joking, but stay with me today. I was thinking of this idea that the stewardess makes eye contact and basically no contract, no written paperwork. How many wish it was that easy to get a house? Are you willing and able to make the payments on this? For the next 30 years, you're like, yes, sir. Here's your home keys. It's funny that it's hard to get a house, but it's it's easy to sign up to save lives. Willing and able. I'm just making an observation here today. Because I find that this leper is intriguing to me in Mark chapter 1. I would say, even in, even in spirit-filled, in Bible-believing churches, there is still many people that are behind a leper in Mark chapter 1, because this leper had 50% of the equation lined up. He actually came to Jesus, and he said, Master, if you are willing, he said, you are willing. I think this is interesting because I think most Christians fall into two categories. They believe that God doesn't do anything special today because they don't believe that God is either able to or he's not willing. Let me say it a way that you you might understand it. I don't know if this is God's will for me to be healed. I don't know if it's God's will for our marriage to actually work out. I don't know if it's God's will for my transgender child to ever have a sexual rebirth in his life or her life. I don't know if it's God's. It's interesting that we throw around these phrases. I don't know if it's God's will. Or we have this Jewish word in our, our, our American vocabulary. It might be the only Jewish Hebrew word that you know. It's called yabba. Yeah, but is this word that we do when people say, can God still do miracles today? And most of the, even the church world will say, this, this Hebrew word will say, yeah, he can, but, yeah, but, um, not all the time. Yeah, but not in most circumstances. Yeah, but it usually doesn't go the way you want. Yeah, but, you with me today. And I was thinking about this passage in Mark because it's one of the clearest pictures we have in the early days of the ministry of Jesus that he actually tells the world, he tells not a man, just one individual, not just a leper, that he's willing and that he's able, but he tells the world, he says, I am willing. I am willing. This is interesting. The word willing means it is my will. Some people say, well, Mark, if it's God's will to do miracles and to heal, why does he he always do it? And I want to interject a little bit of theology this morning, that's okay, to answer some of these tough questions, but my conviction is that God is willing, God is able. Can I get a good amen? Amen. This is interesting because this leper is a lot like many of us. I would say actually all of us, like lepers, have much in common. Leprosy is oftentimes like sin. It's deeper than your skin. It spreads. It defiles and it isolates. It it renders things only fit for the fire. Leprosy, like your dark nature, like your dark, who you were in your heart before God saved you, leprosy is highly infectious. It had to live outside, if you had it, you had to live outside of the town, in a colony. Lepers were already dead, even though they were still alive. It was an incurable condition. It caused you to be deformed from your God-given design. It was a physical and it was a mental pain. This guy was like we are before God comes into our hearts and begins to renew us. He was actually alive, but he was a walking dead. There's people right now in Hollywood, people where I live, in Orange County, that live in $30 million houses and have $20 million worth of cars in their garage and married to a model, but they are spiritually dead. And they're like, how come I have everything on the outside, but I feel dead on the inside? And it's interesting that that leprosy was very similar, is that you actually looked the part. You didn't just feel the part. But Jesus was able... And this leper had some, he had some pretty good theology. I would say he had 50% better theology than some Christians do. He didn't know exactly if God was willing to do it, but he at least knew that God was able to. Some Christians don't even believe that God is able to do anything today. Some of us think that he's able to get us to heaven, but he can't help us with our infertility. That he's big enough to get us to heaven, but he can't heal the stage for cancer. That he's big enough to actually take care of the lilies and the valleys and the sparrows and the trees, but he's not really able to take care of the details of our lives. I want to remind you today that we serve a God that is willing and that is able. Can I get an amen? People say, Mark, well, healing isn't the whole gospel. I heard one scholar say this way, healing is not the whole gospel, but neither is the gospel whole without it. We don't worship miracles, but we do, reminder, worship the miracle worker. 37 major miracles were documented in the four gospels of Jesus Christ. He did things from turning water to wine, walking on the water. He seemed to have a grace for water miracles. God did great exploits. Opened up blind eyes, deaf ears, raised dead bodies. He did eccentric, unusual, changing of electoral structures of water into wine. He did things that no one else could ever do. He was a miracle working God. And somehow in the last 2,000 years of our history, since the origins of Christianity, Guys like Luther and Calvin were great leaders of the Reformation, but they reacted to the Catholic notion that the existence of miracles confirmed that their theology was right. These great reformers threw out the the baby with the bathwater. They denied the need for miracle as a normal expression of our faith, thus creating the idea that it is noble to believe without signs and without wonders. This does have a definite value, but it also created a powerless gospel that's been applauded as virtuous, Let me say it another way. I'll sleep through church on Sunday to get brownie points with God. Bored to death, scared to death, dull out of my mind, but I'm being faithful to the God that doesn't speak, doesn't move, doesn't heal, doesn't answer, and certainly doesn't do anything spectacular anymore. And I don't want to just have a loyal heart to a God that's no longer in action. I want to remind us that our, our our faith changed the earth the last 2,000 years because when Jesus came on the scene, two things happened that never happened before in history. Demonized people got evicted from demons, and sick people got healed. Before Jesus came, no one had authority over demons. Bef- Are you hearing me today? Before Jesus came, no one had authority to cast out sickness, viruses, and disease. Somehow, with 120 people in an in a, in a area of Palestine that had f- almost 4 million people, That is one Christian for every 30,000 non-believers. These 120 against 30,000 odds turn the known world upside down. They didn't do it through their academic studies. They didn't through their. They didn't do it through their ability to, to to articulate the the metaphysics of the universe and to wax eloquently from the University of Jerusalem on the on the educational paradigms that changed the earth. They did it as eyewitnesses of people that saw Jesus cast out darkness and heal the sick. Sorry, I'm fired up this morning. I just feel like too many people are comfortable living in a gospel that has no power. Can't change my mind. Can't change my habits. It is what it is. I, I preached that message one time here. I don't think it is what it is. I think there's, there's words that Jesus offers us that no other human offers us. You can change. Well, I was born this way. Well, I was born a certain way too. But that's why John 3.16 says you got to be born... Again, that you don't have to die living like the, like the parents that you were born after. You can die looking like your heavenly parents. You're born looking like your parents. You die looking like your beliefs. <sighs> can I get a water? Is that all right? I'm sorry, I'm preaching so, I'm just too excited this morning. I'm dehydrated up here. 37 miracles. Come on, give Caleb a hand. He's married, ladies. I'm sorry. <laughs> Apologize. I don't know. I think most people don't want to believe God for the supernatural because they're scared that it might create a bad witness. What if God doesn't answer the prayer? What if I'll bring shame to the name of the Lord? What if I, well, I think most people don't want to believe God for great things because they're, they're scared of the fear of man. What, what will people think about me if I step out of the boat and I sink into the water? Most people are scared. They're, they they they're scared that they'll look bad, that they'll miss it. We've all been there before. I've been there before, but I do believe this, that if we're really going to let God revive our hearts, we have to be willing to give God our complete attention and our complete affection. We're going to be, a, we're going to be a people that don't just choose power over character, but are our character without power. Power ministries have had a negative connection at times with people of low character. You know why some of you don't want to believe in a God that does miracles anymore? Because you saw the crazy guy on TV with the Rolex, the jet, talking about if you send in your donation, God will heal your mom's cancer. And he didn't. And many times we see the damage of those that talk big, but they actually have bad motives, bad character, but they have a, a genuine God gift. We can't ever we can't ever let The the unhealthy people that have power dictate whether we believe in it or not. Amen. Amen. I think this is so important today that people got to realize that there is no power in Christianity without having a prayer life. There is something about spending time with Jesus that gives you his values, gives you his desires, and for some reason makes you want to do what he does. Problem with most people is they think that no miracles were for yesterday. I'm going to get into that in a second, but I want to just tell you that I do believe that one of the greatest needs of our day is in the last days. Paul warns the church will have a a, a, a type of a type of godliness, but he warns there'll be no power. We'll have great buildings, great kids ministries. We'll know how to have great youth groups, but they'll be they'll be entertainment based, not power focused. And I'm not against entertainment. Certainly not against having fun. But I think so many times today in our modern world, you have to choose churches that have the power of God, but they have no wisdom. You would never invite a coworker there. You'd be embarrassed to death to invite anybody that was not a Christian to this church because it's so powerful, but it's so out there eccentric. Or there's churches over here that you know when the service starts, you know when the service ends, you know exactly what's going to happen. There's going to start right on time sharp, and it's going to end right on time dull, and there's no power. They have wisdom, they have structures, they have systems and small groups, they have a community church with no power in it. And what makes my, I don't know, what takes my breath away, like the Queen of Sheba, is the idea of the Ephesians church being a church without spot or without wrinkle that has both the power of God and the wisdom of God. The ministry of Jesus didn't just have power, it had wisdom. It didn't just have wisdom, it had power. Power. and for some reason we're almost willing to put one on the altar if we get the other. It's not just willing it's it's willing and able. So important. I, I really do believe that we're not going to be judged. A.W. Tozer probably said it best. We're not only going to be judged by what we did but also by what we could have done. I don't want to get to heaven and hear from the the Good Shepherd, that, marked, there was things I wanted to do for your neighbors. There was prayers that I wanted you to pray. There was things I wanted to co-create with you in Meridian, in Eagle, in Star, in Kuna. That's a joke. That's for the Californians in the room. It's Cuna. <laughs> there was things I wanted to do with you and through you, but you didn't believe me for anything except salvation the biggest mistake with most Christians, is they think that the pinnacle of Christianity is going to heaven. I would say it's beyond going to heaven. I would say that once you get saved, say with me, salvation. Let me give you a chronological sequence of God's desire. God wants to get you saved, and after you're saved, you know what he wants to do? He wants to cleanse you. He wants to clean you out. Most important message the world needs to hear is you can be saved. Most important message the church needs to hear after that is God can renew your mind. You don't have to think like Egypt and try to live in God's promised land. That God will make you new. Can I get an amen? So there's salvation, there's cleansing, and then there's indwelling that the spirit of the Most High God would fill you, begin to give you dreams and visions, begin to weaponize your vocation, begin to give you a life of purpose and meaning. That's not just about making money. It's about making an eternal difference. The devil doesn't scare. He's not scared about, about 50 years of your life. He's scared about what you'll do with those 50 years to impact his population for eternity we got to understand here today that God wants to indwell inside you, and when the Spirit is indwelling in you, he wants to endow you with power. Too many Christians live with no electricity. Do you know that you can live without electricity? You can. You can do it. But I don't want to do it. I can wash dishes with my hands, but I prefer a power dishwasher. I can wash my clothes in a hotel bathroom sink, but I prefer to put them in a washing machine. I, 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 can, man, I can probably keep my food fresh by putting salt on it and other things that I have no idea about. But I would prefer to use a power refrigerator. I can actually take the stairs. Physically, I'm capable of taking the stairs. But if I see an escalator, we're going with the escalator. Why? Because I prefer power. And I think too many Christians are like, look, if the Spirit of God is on the earth, that's great. But I just want to go to heaven. I just want to be saved. Or I just want to be saved and I want to be cleansed. Or I just want to be saved and I want to be cleansed and I want God to live inside of me. But I want to tell you, there's more than God just living in you. There's this idea that he wants to endow you with power. And when he does, you go from having a power endowed to you, that in the Bible word, there's an anointing that comes over you. You know what the anointing is? It's when God actually signatures his fingerprints on the way that he created you. It's like if you're called to sell cars or real estate, you're called to be an entrepreneur, a pastor, a children's teacher. Well, God made you when he comes inside of you with his spirit. There is this signature revelation of God allowing you to do what he made you to do with him. And when you do what God made you to do with him, it's, it's wild that you will rise to the top of whatever you're doing. I think there's a lot of, my grandma used to say, there's a lot of miserable businessmen because they're called to preach, but they're living in business. And there's a lot of miserable preachers that are called to be businessmen, but they're preaching in churches. When God puts you in the career field that he made you for, you will succeed. And if you're struggling where you are, it could be that you're not where God created you to be. Are you still with me today? So many people miss out on these things. This leper has this great theology. He says, if you are willing, I know that you are able. See, the problem is, most people don't realize this, but Jesus is not three things. You guys ready for a couple notes? He's not three things. Number one, he is not a sensationalist. You notice Jesus is not a showman. He wasn't bringing unwanted attention to himself. I want you to notice a couple things about Jesus. He tells this guy, don't tell anybody. If Jesus was like all about gathering this big crowd and just being fancy and showy and being like some TBN preacher, throwing jackets on people, he he wasn't a sensationalist. He wasn't some acrobatic evangelist, hyper charismatic, just trying to draw attention to himself. Notice this popularity did not change Jesus priorities. Power did not change Jesus priorities. Pleasure did not change Jesus priorities. It wasn't about the applause of men, but the loving obedience to his father. Jesus did do miracles, but he didn't do it to be seen. He did it in obedience to a loving father. And I believe that not only was Jesus not a sensationalist, number two, he was not a confessionalist. If I could bring a little bit of our theology back on track in the charismatic world, it's not this name it and claim it theology that if I state what I'm struggling with, God won't heal me. I want want you to make note of this. Faith is not denying the facts. It's stating the truth. Faith is not denying the facts. The doctor said, I'm terminally ill. There's people in entire movements that go, well, you can't accept that. Look, I'm not saying you accept it if you say it. This is the diagnosis. But I'm not lining up my faith with the facts. I'm lining up my faith with the truth. There is something more transcendent than facts. It's called truth. Can I get an amen? It's not name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. There is power in our confession, but miracles don't transpire because we deny facts. They transpire because we stand on God's truth. Amen. So we're not confessionalists. Faith doesn't ignore reality, but it also doesn't ignore God. And I have found that people that stop ignoring faith because of, they want to be realists. I just want to be real about what's happening right now. Faith is not denying reality. Faith is just choosing not to deny God either. Either. Praise God. Thirdly, is God is not a, Jesus was not a dispensationalist. There's nowhere in these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or even, how about the book of Acts for that matter, that there's this, there's this large scale, there's, a lot of, there's been division in the church world over it, that miracles stopped when the apostles died. The problem was, is there was non-apostles doing miracles in the days of the Bible. There was people like Stephen that was not an apostle. There was people like uh, who was the guy on the street called Straight uh, when uh, when Paul Saul has his eyes opened up. What was his name? Uh, Ananias. Ananias wasn't a preacher. He wasn't. He wasn't an apostle. He was a regular Christian. So we know that power in the life of a believer is not reserved to people that have pastors in front of their names, apostle in front of their names, archbishop, deacon, Shane grove, come on, in front of their names. We know that power is reserved for anyone that calls on the name of God. There's nowhere that says miracles will stop after the three years of Jesus' ministry because they didn't. People say, Mark, well, what's Christianity supposed to look like? in the world. Well, if we didn't have the book of Acts, we'd have no idea. But the good news is we know what it looks like. After the resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't the end, it was the beginning. You guys still with me today? Well, people, how, how does God heal? Well, I'll tell you a couple of ways. He heals naturally. Do you know that if you cut your, you cut your toe on the corner of, of, of the bed, like my wife does probably once a week? You jab your toe, starts bleeding. If your your body didn't naturally heal itself by that blood coagulating, you would bleed to death if your body didn't know how to stop bleeding. So your body, the way God designed you, it will heal naturally. The second way God will heal is medically. Who's ever been uh, helped by a surgical operation? Raise your hand. Cosmetic surgery? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We're not in Orange County. Listen. Listen. There's, there's medical surgeries and thirdly, there's the way God heals is not just naturally, not just medically, but he heals miraculously. And I came to Boise to remind you church that our God still can and our God still will, that he's willing and he's able. And I don't know who you are. Maybe you've been believing for so long that you lost a little bit of your hope. David said, I would have lost hope unless I would have believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I don't know who you are today, but I I just felt like God told me to come here and encourage you to get your hopes up in God again. Lepers had to keep distance and yell to warn everyone that they were coming to prevent others from being defiled. This man yelled. This man knew that Jesus was able to heal him, but he was unsure if the master was willing. People say, Mark, if God's will is to heal, why doesn't he do it every time? Have you read 2 Peter 3, 9? It says that God is not willing that any should perish. Who would say there's people perishing today? Just because God wills something doesn't mean that it always happens. Well, why doesn't it happen that if God wills it? Good question, Jethro. I'll answer it. You still with me? It's a joke. Is that too strong? Why doesn't God heal every time? Well, before I get there, I think this is important. When Jesus heals this man, he's healed at a touch. I learned this from Chris Wilde years ago. Jesus was the only human being that could come in contact with someone that was unclean and not be defiled. Somehow the purity of Jesus was stronger than the ability of the darkness inside of the leper to contaminate Jesus. Almost sounds like a Chuck Norris joke, doesn't it? Is the leper, when he touched Jesus, Jesus didn't get dirty. The leper got Jesus. Sounds like Chuck Norris, right? Chuck jumps into the pool. The water doesn't get, uh, Chuck Norris doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. Come on. (laughs) Jesus is touched by a leper, but somehow the darkness of his uncleanness doesn't have the power to infect Jesus. Somehow Jesus is so unusually pure that when the unclean touched the clean, it had the ability to wash him. People say, how did this happen? I don't know. But we know this, that Jesus said to the guy, stay quiet. But he told everybody. You know what gets gets me fired up today as a pastor? Is this was in an era of time that Jesus healed. And after he healed, he said, don't tell anybody. And he told everyone. And now we live in a, under a dispensation that God says, tell everyone, and we tell nobody. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I, I love you, and I'm just going to tell you that I love you. One of the things that burns me up is when you go to a service and there's not one new person there. You know what that tells me is we've gotten comfortable. And I've sat in these services before, and I'm in this service today, so I'm just as guilty as everybody else. Can we point the gun at ourselves just for a second here and go, I'm going to do a better job of, I had the greatest news on the earth. How dare me keep this to myself? He is willing. He is able. And doggone it, people deserve to hear about this. Can I get a good amen? Amen. So why does God heal? I think God heals. Just three points. We'll get you out of here. He heals, he heals because he's compassionate. He heals because he's compassionate. I will heal you. I am willing. Be cleansed. Number two, he doesn't have compassion. He heals because it's his will. He says, I am willing. People say, oh, Mark, what, what, why, doesn't, why doesn't it happen every time then? Well, lots of people do get healed. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Who's ever met someone that's been healed? Who's ever been healed yourself? Would well, just raise your hand real high. If you or someone you know has physically been healed with something pretty wild, real high, real high, for all the skeptics in the room. So we know that God does heal. Yeah. My problem with the church sometimes, we give credit... When God doesn't heal to God, but we don't give credit to God when he does heal. So we want to acknowledge that God does heal. But what about when he does it? Well, we might remind ourselves a couple of things. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We're not in heaven yet. And if God answered every prayer you prayed, every time you prayed it, in some ways you'd be sitting in God's seat. God is God. He chooses what's in and what's out. Our job is belief and action. God's job is outcomes. Amen. I think sometimes we don't see miracles because we're too intelligent. It's interesting that in poor countries, it causes people to go to God because that's all they got. We have medicine, we have hospitals, we have surgeons. We don't have other options. And it seems like the wealthier a nation becomes, the less they rely on the transcendent power of God. So sometimes we don't see miracles because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we're too intelligent. Sometimes there's warfare. Do you remember that Michael took 21 days from when Daniel started praying to actually break through? There is a battle going on in the unseen realm, and we can't stop praying the first time we pray. We gotta believe and keep believing. We gotta ask and keep on. This is the problem. Most people have this really passive view of prayer. Well, I prayed once. Doesn't God already know what I want? Yes, but he says to knock and keep on to ask and to keep on. He knows what you want, but there's something about being persistent. Touches the heart of God. Prayer is not this apathetic sitting on your hands. I did it one time. Maybe it'll happen. It's knocking until something changes. Well, I prayed one time and I didn't get changed. Well, I went to the gym one time and my fat didn't go away. I had to go more than once, didn't you? There was more than just man going and working on that one machine. I did I did 15 crunches. Where's my six pack? And it's funny because I could use a gym reference because we're really we're in January. And you get it. But if we liken that persistence to your faith, what if you had to pray to get results? The way that you have to eat healthy and, and the way that you have to actually exercise to get physical results. And that's why there's a lot of out of shape Christians, I think. So we don't carry that ethic into the church. You still with me today? Well, what if God doesn't heal? This is where I land the plane. I think that uh, Daniel 3 is one of the greatest exposés on what true faith looks like. You know what it looks like? It looks like this. King Nebuchadnezzar goes, uh, guys, you bow or you die. And these three Jewish boys living out of the fumes of a revival from King Hezekiah that were living in Babylon but have the kingdom of heaven in their hearts. They said, oh, King, we have no need to answer you in this matter, for our God can. And our God will deliver us. Would you catch that again? Our God, our God deliver us. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O King, that we're not bowing. This is the attitude of faith. Your, your kid gets sick. Our God can. Our God will deliver. I was in Seattle. I was in a hospital unit where most the people were dying. when I visited Clay. I visited Clay, uh, Clay, uh, where's his last name at? In my head. Bowie, there it is. Been gone for four years. Lose my mind. I was in that IC. I was in that cancer ward. I was with Kim Bowie when she was getting the facts, but she was standing on the truth. Our God can. Our God will. But let the record state, even if he doesn't. Because in Hebrews 11, some people died in faith. But let the record show in heaven that if we die, we died in faith. I didn't die with doubt on my, 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 my breath. I didn't, I didn't die with this negative confession that God can't, that God won't, that God's not interested, that God's not willing. Let the record state that if I die with the condition I currently have, let it state that in the halls of heaven, I died with one, as one, that had faith. Where is the faith in the world? Where are the Christians that just say, well, I'm gonna send this thing. You're sick, let's pray right now. Your child's running from God. Let's pray right now. Let's pray like God still hears. Let's worship like God's watching. Let's show up to church like God is thrilled by us being here. Let us be excited that we have a message that's worthy of the world. Let us remind ourselves we still have the greatest news the earth has ever heard. Let's shake off this apathetic, lethargic mentality that it just it is what it is. Our God can. Our God will respond. But even if he doesn't, let the record show in heaven that I died believing. Contending. What does it say? To what the what the what? A fight a faith? To fight the Why does he call it a fight of faith? doesn't say walk the good walk of faith. He says fight the good. Stand your feet with me. We're gonna fight this year. We're gonna fight to believe that God can and God, is there anything you're believing? Maybe you don't, I don't, maybe you don't have any needs, but I have a lot of friends that don't know Jesus yet. I got a lot of broken people out, 3.2 million people that live in a 42 mile radius of my house that need God, our God. Our God, deliver us. Could you close your eyes today, I'm, I'm finished. Can I ask you an honest question today? Just maybe, maybe with, your own moi, with your own mouth, just say it like this. Say, God, what are you saying to me? I think there's areas that some have given up on that God says it's not time to quit. Do you know it's always too early to quit with God? And I really believe this. If it's not good yet, God's not done yet. If it's not good yet, God's not done yet. I know it's a cliche, but I really do believe, Romans eight twenty eight that God is the one that makes everything work together for good. And maybe it won't be good on this side of eternity sometimes, but I do believe that when we get to heaven, things will make sense there that never made sense here. I don't understand, man, I don't understand stillbirths. I don't understand, man, uh, tragedies, car accidents, sudden deaths. I I don't understand some of the stuff, the pain on this side of eternity. But I know this, I'm going to live my life believing that God can and that God will. And if it doesn't happen the way that I didn't want it to work out, I'm still going to believe that God is good. And when you live like that, the devil has no blackmail on you. He's got no foothold in your life. Would you close your eyes all over the room? How many of you today would say, Mark, there is an area of my life that I stopped believing in, maybe because I thought you're not able to help me. Some of you, maybe you're, del- you're, you're just severely addicted to cutting yourself. You have had an eating disorder since you were 12. You've been addicted to pornography since you were 10. You've been a pathological liar since you were a kid and there's something about you that believes you're never going to change. Can God deliver me? My last point was not only does God have compassion, not only does God willing, the last thing I was gonna tell you is God is interested in helping you personally. Can God help someone like me? Are you willing to heal someone like me? And I believe unequivocally without question the answer is yes. How many days would say, Mark, if God is willing to help me, if He's willing to hear my prayer, and if He's able to do something transcendent beyond the laws of nature? the gift of healing, the working of miracles. The gift of healing, 1 Corinthians 12, is when God healed something that was sick physically. The working of miracles is when God caused something to happen in the earth that should have never happened, but it was miraculous. You're here today, gift of healing, working of miracles. You say, Mark, if God's willing and if he's able, I'm hungry for God to move. Would you lift your hands all over the room today? There's an area of my life that if God's willing, And if God's able, I want to invite him in. I'm almost done. Hands up real high today. We'll just pray this prayer. Say, Lord, give me faith. I need you to pray this as loud as you talk. Come on, somebody say, Lord, give me faith. Give me great faith. Divine optimism that you are good. You are able and you are willing. In Jesus name, I bring my pain. bring my problems. I bring people. I lay it at your altar. Would you heal? Would you deliver? Would you cleanse? Would you indwell? Would you endow? And would you anoint? To do something great. In Jesus' name. Need physical healing? Just keep your hand up or put your hand up right now. I need a, I have a physical a mental could be severe depression. It could be like a, a a mass you fell on your stomach or your chest. It could be some sort of diagnosis you already have or you just got. If you have a need today to be healed, I'm telling you that we serve a God that can and a God that will even today deliver. Would you put your hand up? If you need it, if you have a need today. Just put your hand up real quick. We do this every week at our church, Ocean's Church. If your hands up, do me fair. I need this. I need everyone. If your hand isn't up. If your hand isn't up, I want you to find somebody next to you and just put your hand on the... I need everyone to have, that has their hand up to have at least one hand on their shoulder. Just find somebody, walk over there, put your hand on their shoulder, hand on their shoulder, hand on their shoulder. Just put a hand on the shoulder. Everyone that has a hand up, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up until someone finds you. Mark's, Mark says that we'll actually preach the good news to all creatures that will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Does everybody got a hand on them? If there's two people that have their hands up, put your hand on their, your neighbor if you both have your hand up. That's great, yeah. There we go, there we go, there we go, there we go. Everybody got hands, 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 hands? Awesome. All right, if your hand's on somebody, I want you to pray this prayer. Follow me, ready? Say, Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus Christ's name. You said, I would pray for the sick. Lay hands on the sick, and they would recover. So we lay hands and we ask you in Jesus name, heal their body, intervene in their circumstance and do miracles in this brand new year. Let them know that you can and you will do great things to God. Be all the glory. Jesus Christ's name. Now watch. I'm almost done. Last thing we do last thing. put your hands down just so you can take your hands off them. Eyes closed just for a minute. If you know you're not living for God, you're in church, and obviously you go to church more than today because everyone's brand new to, uh, everyone's here before. But if you're here today and you want to start the new year off, some of you came today because you knew that you can't have another 2022. If today you want to give your heart back to Jesus, or for the first time, you really want to give God your whole heart. Some of you've given God like 50 percent. Someone said, I've given God like 80% of my life. This year, God wants all of your heart, all of your affection, all of your devotion. That's you. Eyes closed. Just for a minute, I'm done with this last thing. If today you want to give your heart back to God, or for the first time, invite Jesus to be the God of your life. Would you raise your hand all over the, all the room? I'll give you three seconds. There's a couple hands already going up. I love it. One, I'll give you more time. Two, don't be shy. Today is the day I'm reigniting, or for the first time, putting my faith in God. Keep it up. Three, real high, real high. I see three, I see four, five, six, seven, awesome. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Real High 16. Anybody else? 17 in the back, I see you. Come on, give God a hand. Well, that's amazing. 17 people. You put your hands down. Pray this last prayer. This is not the end, friend. This is the beginning. Say this, Jesus, I invite you to forgive me of my mistakes. I ask you to wash me, to fill me with your spirit, to undo me with power and to anoint me to walk with you, live with you, and live for you the rest of my days. Speak to me as I read your word. Plant me in a healthy local church and make me your disciple in Jesus Christ's name. And everybody said amen. Give God a good hand clap. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.